church, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll continue our study that we've called Outsiders. As we've looked at Peter's instructions on how we as Christians navigate a culture of resistance, of opposition at times, as we've said it a couple of times so far in the series, as people who are no longer accepted at the cool kids table. You know, how do we navigate that as Christians? And, you know, uh, what a lot of these first few, uh, this first section of First Peter, you know, we've gotten through chapter, I mean, verse 5 and, uh, and in the last two weeks. And a lot of what Peter has done is he's taken this time to kind of reorient our minds about how we view the process, how we view navigating that space. And uh, we'll continue to see that as we move on. And, you know, what I love about the way a lot of the Bible books are written in these letters, written to these churches, is all, a lot of times Paul and Peter ref- reflects this in a lot of ways as they start out first and foremost by letting you know who you are and where you are and what God's called you to do. And then it gets more specific. You know, later on as we get into the series, we'll navigate how, how, how marriage looks, how submission works, how living holy lives, being good stewards, suffering as Christians as all we move in. It'll get a lot more kind of uh, specific to certain aspects of our Christian walk in navigating cultural differences. And so what we continue to see this morning, though, as Peter speaking into that common experience that all Christians either will have or are having today, and that's nav- navigating a resistant culture, a culture that we are on the outside of as outsiders. So how do we do that? And so this morning, I want us to pick up in verse 6. We're going to read down to verse 9 this morning as we see Peter continue to kind of speak into where we are, I believe, even today and all around our world as believers. Picking up in verse 6, it says this. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, through it is tested, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you again for this morning. God, I thank you for this text. God, I thank you for the reality of of your word and the presence and this the applicable nature of this this 2000 year old book father god that speaks directly to where we are so father god i just pray father god i pray that we would humble ourselves before you god let us see what you're speaking to where we are in the midst of our families god in the midst of our circles of influence and the spaces where we work and the spaces where we serve in ministry in this culture father god i pray that you would just speak to those places and we would allow lord room for you to work father we love you and thank you in your holy name amen you know and so we continue to kind of kind of tease out this idea of what it looks like to be outsiders in this culture that we currently navigate. And you know, in Hebrews 11, 13 through 14, I think really says this really, really clearly. Uh, when we imagine what this looks like, he says, and the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, let us go to him, going to him, talking about God or Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. 
but we seek the city that is to come. You know, I, I think that's just one of the most awesome ways that I've seen this kind of reference in this as we go to him, that him is leading us outside the city. And that city is talking about the place at which they dwell. And not only that, but he says we will seek outside the city to obtain the reproach that he's experienced. And so like we've already talked about, you know, we talked about earlier on um, navigating that space, being uh, being elect exiles, being those people chosen for a time like this, navigating this space. And so I love how the writer says that. Not only that, but he says, but we seek the city that is to come. And so when we make our roots, you know, physically, yes, we settle down, we build houses, we get jobs, we make roots where we are. But spiritually, he is telling us that we will not, as Christians, find roots in the cultural mandate or in the world that we live in. He tells us that we are seeking a city that is to come. Over and over and over, the Bible uses different words to communicate the type of people that we are navigating these spaces. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are people journeying. We are people trying to navigate these spaces. And not only that, but we are citizens of heaven. And so because our citizenship, our roots, our foundations as Christians are founded in Jesus Christ, who is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, our citizenship as people, spiritual people of spiritual dependence and, and of need of, of, of salvation, is not, our, our roots are not here. And so the city we seek is outside of this. But there is also another word that the Bible uses, that Paul uses to describe who we are as we navigate these spaces, and he calls us ambassadors. You know, um, as much as I always love, and I, I've played this song many, many times before, and, and this song may be dear to your hearts, but, you know, uh, it's the song, uh, I'll Fly Away. You know, it's a, it's a fun song to sing. It's a great song, you know, and, and it's, you know, in, in a lot of ways it has really great, uh, a, it's just a really great worship song and an old hymn to sing. But part of me is, is uh, in, as I've navigated Christian space and as we look at that and as we talk to other Christians, you know, and as Christians talk to each other, what this song, I believe, in some ways kind of presents to us is an escapist mindset. Where that we constantly live our Christian life wishing to leave. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're anticipating going. We can't wait. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, Paul even says it. To be absent from the body is to be present for, for the Lord. And he's like, I'd love to be there. But... God's called us to be doing something else, and he's called us to be ambassadors. Because the Bible calls us pilgrims, sojourners, journeyers, we have, a, we have a time at which we navigate these spaces that we're not meant to be welcomed. But we have a job to do. You know, an ambassador is another country's highest-ranking person, highest-ranking authority from their country in another country. You know, and what an ambassador's job is to do, this highest high-ranking official, what his job is to do is to represent and promote the country they are citizens of in another country. And so what God, over and over and over again, what Peter, just so many times in these first few verses, we're nine verses in, and over and over and over again, he has told us that where you are is where we're supposed to be as, outs as people, as outsiders within the culture. Remember we said in week one, we are not supposed to be escaping to the culture. We are supposed to be this place the culture escapes to. 
away from the world, away from the things of the, the, the world systems and, and the hurt and the pain and the, and the injustice and all those things. We as the church should be that place that people remove from those systems to gain and to see justice, to see mercy, to see grace, to see what God has for them through us. And so what Peter is doing is he wants to prepare us and encourage us for that life of, of, of being a faithful Christian and navigating those spaces. And remember, we said that these first few weeks are kind of Peter uh, reorienting our mindset about how we view navigating the culture and how we view navigating being outsiders. And so I have one point this morning that I just want to kind of tease out and pull out for us to see and what I really believe that Paul in these verses of Peter is wanting to shift our focus to and it is this, that trials are meant to make our faith and to not take it. Trials are meant to make our faith and not take it. Because a lot of us, as we navigate difficulties, and so when we talk about trials, you know, in verse, in verse 6, he says this. He says, uh, you know, tr- various trials. When it communicates this various trials, it's almost talking about it in a sense of like a leopard spot. It's like many different types, many different patterns, many different looks. And so, you know, when, when God, when Peter here is, is, is speaking on behalf of God about the trials, he's talking about a vast experience of trials. And all of these things meant to do something in our life. You know, in verse 6, he said this, he says, In this you rejoice. You have been grieved by various trials. He actually tells us to rejoice in the fact that we're uncomfortable, right? He says to rejoice in the fact that there's opposition. He says rejoice in the fact that there's resistance. And not only that, you know, this idea of rejoicing carries a sense of worship and confidence in God. But when he talks about trials, he's talking about specifically about adversities, but not just about adversities, but adversities with a purpose. Adversities that prove Adversities that assure, adversities that are pushing us towards something or revealing something to us. And these type of adversities, like we said, are very different. And these trials are very different types of experiences. And he says that, that you've been grieved by various tribes, uh, types of trials, various trials. And this word grieved is a very heavy, very emotional word. He says this is sorrow or sadness, that you have been saddened. You have experienced sorrow because of these trials. And so these aren't little things always. These aren't small things. These are heavy experiences that we all navigate in life and that you may even be navigating this morning. You know, here recently, I, I had, I saved the opportunity. It's one of the hardest things I've done in a long time, but I had, I had the opportunity to participate in a celebration of life for a four-month-old baby. And to see those parents, and from a parent's perspective, I can't imagine the, the, the hurt, the difficulty, you know, and one of the things that, that the family, one of the family members came to me previously to that, and they said, you know, one of the things that, that, that the father is struggling with is why? You know, the, the, the hurt. Like, why would God do this? Why would this happen? You know, and, and all around us, people are asking those questions. People are asking those questions about why. Now, unfortunately, biblical Christianity, we have an enemy in the midst of this, and that's called the prosperity gospel that tells us that God doesn't hurt us and that if we are being hurt, it's because we don't have enough faith and all these types of things. And so there is an enemy to this mindset that we're navigating this morning. 
And it's not an easy task to lean into someone's life and tell them that, hey, God's going to do something with this that maybe you don't understand and you don't have to. But God is doing something in the midst of this. That's the difference between the Christian faith and anything else is that there's always hope beyond hurt, that there's always something God's revealing to us in the midst of these times that feel, we feel the pressure, the intensity around us. And so Peter tells us, he says, rejoice in the fact that you're experiencing difficulties. James 1-2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And not only that we would count it joy, but we would understand something else about the difficulties that we face as Christian parents, as Christian men, as Christian women, as Christian brothers and sisters and co-workers and workers and employees and employers. He says, consider this. In verse 6 he says, now for a little while, if necessary. You know, it's not a lot of times that we like to think about the fact that certain things we navigate, certain difficulties that we navigate, certain hardships that we navigate um, are necessary. We never like to think about it like that. I, you know, we, we, as creatures of comfort, we never like to think about the fact that there's any hurt or suffering or difficulty that we experience that's necessary for me. You know, the idea that something's necessary, but what I, I hope that we can see in the midst of that is, is not to see it as God neglecting us when we're navigating those type of hurts, but seeing that God's participating with us. Because if God sees something as necessary, what God is doing is He's leaning into our lives and He's providing something for us. That when He sees that it's necessary for us to navigate a hardship, that's God being attentive to us. That's God seeing that the best of you is yet to come. And that when you experience this, it's because it's necessary for you. As a parent, and really, like I said, please don't, don't limit this only to very difficult trials. He says trials of various kinds. So as parents, as people, as husbands, as wives, think about anything that you navigate right now that makes your Christian life difficult. That makes you navigating and being faithful to Christian life difficult. That is a trial. That is an adversity. That is opposition to you. Maybe it's in a relationship with friends that you have outside of here. Maybe it's in your personal devotion life, your church attendance, your church participation, uh, the way you love or in, interact or encourage or engage with other people. These are trials that are pressing in around you. And if they hinder the outworking of your Christian life, then that is a trial that God has seen necessary to make something out of you in your Christian walk. So he says if it's necessary, this, well, like we said, this shows an active and necessary interaction of God's work in our lives. And so what are the trials for? You ask. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked because the Bible tells us right after this. What are these trials for? The main thing is for us to understand this, that God didn't promise to withhold, but he did promise to make the most out of it for our good and our growth. In verse 7, he says this. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. That it may be found. And so what, what these trials and these adversities that come into our life, what they're meant to do is they're meant to reveal evidence of where our faith is at that moment. You know, maybe it's evidence to show us the depths at which we navigate in our faith. But a lot of times, if God sees it necessary, I believe what He's showing us is not the depths, but the shallowness of our faith. 
He's revealing to us kind of the kiddie pool faith where we've been navigating. The fear that we have to step into the deeper parts of what God has for me as a dad, as a husband, for you, for you as a mom or as a spouse, for you as students navigating life as Christian students within a secular world system. What God allows us to do these things is to reveal to us, actively reveal to us where our faith is in the genuineness of our faith. Difficult situations and trials serve a purpose for progress, not just for pain. These things that we navigate, these uncomfortable situations that we navigate, maybe it's conversations with family, co-workers, our spouses, maybe it's you know, the things that we do in our personal devotion life, the things we participate in the life of the church that make us uncomfortable. These, there is purpose for progress in the midst of those things, and that's what he's telling us. As these things press against us, they are meant for maturity. They are meant for maturity. James 1.3, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What more do we need in a world that wants us to let go of what we have held so tightly to? but to stand firm and to be steadfast. So God says he sees it necessary. If necessary, he allows us to experience these things to build that steadfastness. Job 23.10, one of the, uh, the most reputable people to speak on difficulties and opposition and things that in a lot of ways he felt like he didn't deserve. Job 23.10, he says, but he knows the way that I take and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Romans 5, 4, he says, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Church, God is using these tests and these trials to press in, to reveal something about our faith. And not only that, but to cut away things from our lives that we don't need. Because what it does when it reveals the nature of our faith, it typically reveals to us the things that are taking our faith. Right? Those things that we've put trust in, those things that we've depended on to make us feel valuable, those things that we've depended on to make us feel important, those things that we've depended on to make us feel comfortable, to make us feel accepted. When He allows these things to press around us, the trials, the opposition, these opportunities to live as outsiders of acceptance, it reveals the reality of our faith and the depth of its reaches in our lives. Church, no Christian growth happens in a life of complacency and comfort. No Christian growth will happen in those spaces because we are never pushed to a point of relying on anything outside of ourselves in those moments. In our comforts, we are never pushed to rely on anything but ourselves. And I love, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, and I just thought this was such an amazing quote. He says, Indeed, it is the honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou hast any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I have never had to use it in anything more than the ordinary affairs of life? Where could I probably have done, what, uh, where I could probably have done without it as well as with it? Where I could have lived without it rather than, and, or with it. You know, and, and how much truth is that? How much faith does it take to live a comfortable life? 
You know, and that's not to say that we need to live these radical lives where we sell everything and we live on the streets. I'm not saying that. But in the context of the local church, in the context of our communities, time and time and time again, we are given opportunities to be made uncomfortable. We are given trials and opportunities to step out into spaces that are difficult, that shake us to the core, to have conversations with people that make us uncomfortable. But how often do we avoid those things? And in avoiding those things, we limit the opportunity for our faith to get tested, which in a sense should reveal to us that our faith is in ourselves and not in God. Because when our faith is in ourselves and we constantly cultivate that type of faith on this carousel of, of life and of mindsets, the, the point always goes back to me. The trust always goes back to me. And I don't know about you, but there are time and time and time again in those moments that I've gotten to the end of myself and said, well, I can't go there. I don't, I don't have it in me. I don't have the confidence in me. I don't have the strength. Who do, who, I mean, who do I think I am, right? Who, who am I to say these things? Who am I to step into these spaces? I mean, I have people all, all that, that I've, I've talked to time and time and time again, people that I love and care about, that constantly tell me, man, I, I can't step into those spaces. Do you know who I am? I mean, I, I've done too much. I've made too many, I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've sinned too much. I've hurt too many people. There's no way that I could step into those spaces and those trials, those mindsets, those, those situations that are pressing in around us in those moments are are meant to deflect our attention from ourselves to a holy God that says it's not about you, but it's about me and it's about my glory. And that when those trials press in around us and our faith is tested, that step that we take beyond the limits of ourselves doesn't make more of us, but we're able to say, whew, I'm only here because of God. I'm only able to do this because of God. And we can never know that. We can never know the usage of our faith and the growth of our faith and the, the depth of our faith unless we are tried. Unless it's difficult. Unless it's difficult to, you know, I mean, just as limit, just even having devotions. I don't know if you guys have tried to have family devotions and, you know, it, it's, not, it's not always easy, right? Especially when you have little ones, you're trying to have a family devotion and they're, they're you know, distracted or they're running or this or that. You know, if, if that was easy, how much faith would it take for me and my family to continue to do that? If it was easy for me to, to, to serve in a, in a local church, then how much faith does it take to do that? If it was easy for us to give financially to people around us or to the church or to give something that we have to somebody else in need, like how, how difficult, how much faith does it take for that? If we're comfortable, if we're safe, how much faith is truly there? And it's not to say that faith is absent. I'm not saying that there is no faith. But what I'm saying is, is there is a limitation that we are applying to the activation of our faith. When we remove ourselves from any place where trials press in around us. You know, in this hostility to our faith, it comes in a lot of different ways. It comes in relationships. It comes in our workplace. It comes in the local churches. I mean, I'm not going to say that local churches have not contributed it to the lack of people's abilities or want to even test their faith or allow their faith to be tested. 
But when we have people in our lives, and even Christians today would tell you, you know, you don't need to go to church, you don't need to read your Bible, you don't need to pray, you know, you don't need to do some of those things, you don't have to give, you don't have to serve, you don't have to lead your family as a man, you don't have to lead your family spiritually, I mean, just do you, do what you, like, well, you don't have to do those things, like, your kids will be okay, they'll be all right, you know, you don't have to just really harp about this whole Jesus stuff, you don't have to do those things. Man, listen, that's, That's not God speaking to us. That's the world. That's the world wanting us to be apathetic, wanting us to be kind of carefree about this this value. You know, we call that uh, practical atheism. It's, it's, you know, uh, uh, believing that there's a God, but living as if we don't believe it. You know, believing in there's a God, but our lives don't reflect that we truly believe that the Creator, God of the universe, sent His Son to die for sinful man so that we could not sit comfortably, but that we would step beyond ourselves into those spaces that God's invited us to. You know, and Peter uses an illustration of fire and gold here to kind of show us what it is that God is trying to do within us. You know, because what's happening, what he's talking about is refinement. What he's talking about is refinement. Now, there are different ways at which gold is dealt with. A lot of these other ways at which gold is dealt with, it changes the chemical makeup within the gold. It kind of manipulates it. But what's neat about refinement, and the Bible mentions this refinement time and time again, the difference between these other methods of how gold is dealt with and refinement is refinement does not change the chemical makeup of the gold, but it brings it to its purest, its most valuable, and its most useful form. So he says these trials, these difficulties, these things that we have to push ourselves to do as Christians says these things are actively working to purify us, to bring about the most valuable experience of God's work in our life, and to make us the most useful Christian parent, the most useful Christian spouse that we can be. And they, but I love how Peter even says, he says, but the gold, you know, is, it's valuable, but it's still going to die off. And so what's he trying to show us in contrast is the longevity in the eternality of our faith. That our faith is the most valuable thing that we carry from day to day. Our faith is the most valuable thing that we share with the world around us. Our faith is the most valuable thing that drives us, that encourages us, that leads us from day to day to day. Peter is telling us that a tested faith is more valuable, more empowering, and more life-giving than anything else we hold dear in our lives. Listen, because, and I've had to re, kind of repeat this even to myself at times as a parent. You know, the things that we hold valuable, say as parents, limited to that, as parents or grandparents, in our lives, you know, for our kids, school, you know, valuable. We, we push and we prod and we get them there and we provide for them and we fight for them to have the best experience we can have in that. And it's valuable. But you know what? School one day is going to end. You know, we push for them in athletics. We get them there. We have them there. We, we pay money. We provide for them. All the extra things that make their experience within that context of athletics or some type of extracurricular activity to be the best they can be, we just pour ourselves out for this thing. And listen, I do it for my kids, and it's valuable. 
You know, but like my, my athletes, I tell them, hey, one injury and all of that's gone. And not only that, but one day, one way or the other, it stops. And so what's that thing, that constant thread that interweaves into every experience of life that if we show lackadaisical approach to it now, what are we revealing to them later in their lives when all of these things are over, when we've poured into school, when we've poured into athletics, when we've poured into extracurriculars, we've done all of these things. When all those things are over, the only constant thread that carries over into the next experience of life is what? It's their faith. It's their Christian life. And so if we have shown little care about our Christian life and the faith that we have all the way through their experience, then when all of these things are over, when they get to this point, what do they say? Well, all these things are done. I mean, and they didn't really act like this was important. This wasn't as valuable to, to get to, to provide towards, to to invest in so I guess I'll just jump on that carousel and you know and I hear people say it a lot of times and you probably deal with people a lot of times too they say it I just I need to be in a good church for my kids okay like I get that and I appreciate that but man our kids need so much more from us than just to be a part of or present in a church they need us Day after day after day, engaging with the trials and the difficulties of life, pressing against our faith to reveal to them a genuine faith that loves God. And then he says that, continuing on, he says, I want all of these things to reveal, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants all of this come to a realization and an acceptance of who he is as a result of the difficulties we face in navigating Christian life and navigating a culture that is going to counter everything that we believe as Christians. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, as Christians, we find commonality with the world in doing good for people, and we should. I love the idea that I can stand next to someone who doesn't believe in God and do good for other people, because at the base level of humanity, that's what we should do. But unfortunately, at the base level of humanity, we are not good. And so, not only that, do we need something beyond ourselves to do good for, but we need something beyond ourselves to point people to. Because even in all the good that I can potentially do for someone else, if I'm pointing them back to me, man, that's a sad end point. Because one day I'm going to be gone. One day you're going to be gone. One day our influence will not be present with them in some capacity. They will need something beyond me to carry them through. My kids will need something far bigger than just a great loving parent. I need to be that. And God's called me to be that. But I need to be pointing them to something much bigger than me. Because in the midst of those trials, the thing that carries them through is their faith. And that faith resulting in a praise and a glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. All of this bringing about a depth of faith grounded and founded in Him. And I love how He, begin, he continues to kind of show what this looks like. He says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. You believe in Him and rejoice, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Isn't that a beautiful thing that 
in navigating the difficulties and giving ourselves over, allowing ourselves to be exposed to the trials and the tribulations and the difficult situations of being a Christian. As Christian students, putting ourselves, putting themselves, putting yourselves in situations where you're on the outside, where you're not the norm, putting yourselves in those situations will grow and develop a faith within you that even though you have not seen him with your own eyes, you believe in him and you love him. And that encouragement is, an, uh, is, is a faith that carries and obtains a salvation and a joy that is unmatched by anything else we experience in life. He says you love him, you have not seen him, and you love him, and you believe in him. To love him, this, this, this phrasing is, is that, that love that chooses to love, that takes pleasure in. That in allowing our faith to be tested, putting ourselves, allowing ourselves to be in places where we are uncomfortable, where we are maybe not even accepted, where, and then, and like we said, this, this cultural mandate will continue to be the case. I mean, like we've said, we are not near the victims that people around the world are experiencing as far as these types of trials go. But for me, and even in conversations that I've had lately, I, I hope that we would, we would pray. You know, as culture continues to press in around us, there will be no fence riding. You won't be able to stay on the fence. You'll have to choose. You know, however you think of end times and all that really is irrelevant. Because one way or the other, we're going to have to choose which side of the fence we're on. There's no place for middle ground anymore. There's only time, there's only room for true faith. There's only room for true faith, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to, we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to let go of some things. We're going to have to be prepared to stand where we are, not not in, in war with someone, not to hurt other people or to dismantle or deconstruct other people, but to stand confidently where you are and say, I hear what you're saying, but I'm sorry, my God does not say that. It does not mean we have to hurt people, but what it does mean is that we have to stand firm. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each one's work will become manifest of the day, uh, of, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. Romans 2.7 says, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will be given eternal life. That we would seek through patience, God has given us an opportunity, church, to experience Him on a level that even those who were in the Bible weren't able to experience. And that's a faith without seeing. And He tells us, John 20, 29, said, Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And it affects the way we live. You know, this idea of, of seeing, of, of knowing and believing God without physically seeing him because you know I mean there were people even in this day and age they saw him and still didn't believe they saw what he did so a lot of you know it's like well if I could see Jesus do something or if I could see Jesus now I would believe man that's that's not true because people all through this book saw and still didn't believe it's deeper than that 
It's deeper than that. It's a trust. That's why for us, it's not too hard-pressed to invite us to believe in a God who we have not physically seen with our eyes, but we see manifest His glory in creation and in His people and what's going on, and it reflects into how we live, and it shows itself in the world. 1 John 4.20, this faith, this genuine faith revealed in this way. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So what does this testing of our faith reveal? Church, it'll be this and then we'll be done this morning. The main thing that this testing, the fire of testing reveals with us that is intended to burn away the impurities that are robbing us of value and use and planting fear and doubt in us, is it's meant to show us areas of our lives we have not allowed ourselves to be dependent on Him. You know, if we are constantly comfortable, we will never see the glory of God's faith and the faith that God has implanted in us revealed. You know, you don't know you can lift 300 pounds until the weight is bearing down on you. You know, you don't know that you can climb Mount Everest until gravity is pulling you back, working against your progress. And you don't know you can raise kids until you navigate the reality of its challenges and stand on the other side so that you can say and be and, and reveal that the faithfulness that God carried through you and worked in you. And not only that, but the faith that was present. You know, God tests our faith not to prove anything to Himself, but to prove something to us. God tests us not to prove something to Him, but to prove something to us. Because a lot of us don't realize the faith that's in there. And we don't know until that faith is tested. And so when God provides, allows things into our life that press in around us, I pray that we would be a people that seek God in the midst of it, that we would stand firm, that we would be enduring, that we would pursue Him, that we would engage with Him. That as the culture around you continues to swallow and kind of press in and the fires of trials burn away the impurities of these things that we've depended on and found comfort and value and acceptance in, that we would see that as all these things, lesser golds, die around us, that the faith of God leading us in salvation is eternal, that it is assuring, and that it brings with it acceptance by a holy God. And that it's not based on my weakness or my failure, but it's based on His faithfulness. And God, church, God intends to use every circumstance that you experience as refinement for faith and not reduction to failure. God intends to use all of these circumstances and the trials that we navigate as outsiders, as people, as parents, as spouses, as individuals navigating Christian life. Use those experiences for refinement to faith and not reduction to failure. Because God intends to use us. And the difference between it is the difference between trusting in Him and trusting in ourselves. So this morning, can we bow our heads together and, and just kind of engage God in this moment and seek Him and, and, and just ask Him, God, reveal to me this morning. God, reveal to me this morning in the midst of the trials that I may be even thinking about right now. 
the difficulties in stepping into certain spaces of our Christian walks, the difficulties of conversations, the difficulties of friendships, the difficulties of, of church life, of being part of a local, a local faith family, the difficulties of even remotely just acknowledging ourselves as, as Christians publicly, what comes with that, that we would ask God to reveal to us the places where our faith is still in the kiddie pool, where we've been afraid to walk out into the depths of what He has for us, where we would accept and receive the refining fires of these tests and the trials that are burning away the impurities, that are burning away the weaknesses, that are burning away the places where we've depended on lesser things and missing out on God's glorious work in our lives, in our families' lives, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our churches that we would ask God to reveal to us those things, those things that need to be burned away, those things that are impeding our faith and not making our faith. But God, that as we engage in the trials of life, that we would rejoice, Lord, so that, so that it can be revealed to us who you are and what you intend to do with us. So could we pray together and see God for that. Father God, we thank you. God, we, we rejoice even this morning for the trials that we face. Lord, for the difficulties of life that come against us, that the difficulties and the oppositions that come against our Christian walks, Lord, as big as they may be, as little as they may be. Maybe it's the unbelieving friend or, or family member or spouse in our life or child. Or God, maybe it's just as simple as the clock. The time that we have from day to day working against us that we're not utilizing the best of. Father God, I just pray that whatever the trials look like this morning, God, that we would not see these trials as things robbing us of our faith, but we would see these trials as things making our faith more and growing our faith so that as we engage these things, we would not run from them, but we would push through them, not depending on ourselves, but depending on you. God, that we know that every situation we face in life, God, you are using to make us more and more into the image bearers that you've created us to be. God, the Christian parents you've called us to be, the Christian evangelists you've called us to be, the Christian spouse you've called us to be, the Christian employee, the Christian community member, whatever it looks like, Father God, the person and the people that you've called us to be. God, and the only way those things are made stronger are through the trials of fire that we navigate. God, I pray that we would not be people that are constantly cowering towards comfort, towards complacency. God, that we would receive and accept the challenges you have for us. God, that we would face those things pursuing you, praying, God, engaging with you, God, raising our children to know the value of their faith. God, and when all things have faded away, Lord, that our faith in you will be the only thing left standing. God, and because if, if it ever comes to a day where we're, we're, we're standing at the potential end of our life, God, maybe against persecution, maybe against old age or circumstance, God, that we would be able to say that our faith was in you and it was built in you and not lesser things. Father God, I pray this morning that if, if there's anyone here that has not put their faith in your saving work on the cross for our sins, Father God, I pray that they would do that this morning. Lord, you say that if we would call out to you, that you would receive us, that you would forgive us, God, that you have a seat at your table for us. God, if we're a believer here this morning, 
God, and we've fallen short, I pray that we would just ask for forgiveness. Lord, that as we step out of this place, we would step out with a renewed confidence in who you are and what you can do with us. Not based off of my strength, but off of yours. Father God, forgive me where I've failed you. God, lead, guide, and direct us as we navigate the future of what is ahead of us as outsiders in a resistant culture. God, but give us the courage it takes to be the ambassadors you've called us to be. To not run from the trials, but to step into those trials in the confidence that you've provided. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.